I lived a very happy life. We were a very happy family. My brothers and sisters, we were nine children. Uh, five brothers and four sisters. My older brothers um, they were too married, and the others were studying. Unfortunately, war broke out. And as the Germans were very well prepared when they entered Poland, with a list of most affluent Jewish families. And the monster was our, our name. And it was several days passed, and a group of Nazis entered our home. And they demanded they want to speak to my mother. And they said, you've got a very nice home here, but you won't be needed for very long. We command you by tomorrow, 12 o'clock. You have to deliver all the things we see here. If not, one of your sons going to get shot. Universities, colleges, everything closed. The war requisitioned everything, and everything was just standstill. And they pointed at him. He, he was a student of dentistry. And my mother says, please, by all means, whatever you see here, we will deliver as you command. Off they went. It was difficult. You see cars, lorries, vans, everything was requisitioned. And how to obtain, how on earth we'd be able to deliver all the things, with the exception of the contents of our home. My mother was very clever, and she walked out several kilometers outside Krakow, where I come from, to a farmer, and she borrowed a horse with a wagon. We throwed things on several times. We were walking backwards and forwards. The last one, my mother broke down. She cried. Why? Whatever she worked for, whatever she saved, or everyone was gone. But I must say, later months and years, we learned that all those possessions which one possessed had no meaning. The starvation, the fear, the torture, the segregations, the shooting was horrendous. People were dragged out from their homes in the middle of the night and shot then there. Some of them to the street to courtyard for no reason. People were taken to the woods, old people, children, never seen her again. All those atrocities one can't forget. Eventually there were huge posters everywhere. The Jews who live outside the ghetto, the ghetto is free for them, and they have to come into the ghetto. If they find Jewish people living outside ghetto, they will be shot. Why the ghetto was free? Because those people who were there previously, or they've been shot, or they've been sent to various other concentration camps. That's why it was empty. My brother was married, and he, was, he had a child, and his wife lived across the road from us. You know, the ghetto was so small. As we approached, uh, the panel, I get very emotional about it. She was told to go to the rights with my nephew. 
and my mother, my sisters, and myself to the left. And we were shouted by the Nazis, quick, quick march out. There were hundreds of women in front of us. So I turned around and I looked there. And I've seen so many women and children. And I felt this is something wrong. So I waved to my sister and my nephew to run towards me, whether I could save him for a week or, or months or whatever. Even a day. Another thing, but somehow spontaneous, I wanted to to help. And he did run towards me. And I just about to hide him behind my back. Two Nazis rushed down. And they grabbed him and they threw him to his mother. And they said, he must go with his mother. And that was the first transport to Auschwitz, straight to the gas chamber. The scene, scene I never, never forget. What it looked like, it's impossible. How much I would like to portray, it is impossible for anyone to comprehend. And then eventually this, uh, you know, when they were saying they're going to create a concentration camp, and um, it will be built on the Jewish cemetery. So, of course, the tombs don't have to be put away. So they used to take about 300 men from the ghetto in order to chop the tombstones. And half of them returned back in the evenings. Went on for several months. Eventually the, the camp was ready and we were about to leave the ghetto. We entered to that concentration camp, Plachow, which maybe you've seen Schindler's List is portrayed in that camp. Huge barracks, so many to one barrack. We found the place, my sisters, my mother, and friends ran. At five o'clock in the morning, we had to stand to attention to be counted in case someone has escaped. And then we had to march out to that huge square, larger than a football pitch. Men separate and, wa- and women separate. I waited for Commander Gerd to appear, walked like an elephant, a whip in one hand and a gun in another, accompanied by station dogs, Ukraine guards and SS. Walked over to our side, several lashes across our faces, and then walked over to the men's side, said, you haven't shaved today, shot them down. You look stupid. You look, you shaved today. You look too clever. He could have shot 50 to 70 men in the morning. And that occurred very, very often. We, um, it was Belsen concentration camp. We arrived after a long, long few years. And, um, my eyes did not believe what I see. This side one could ne- I could never imagine that I ever seen. Walking skeletons, heaps of bodies lying everywhere. You could not distinguish they were men or women. We found a corner in a barrack, which the barrack had no windows. 
There were openings for windows, but no glass in them. We fell asleep, so many hundreds of us in one barrack. And I woke up early hours of the morning and I looked out and I just couldn't believe my eyes. And um, I heard noise and suddenly I lift up my eyes and I see tanks passing by. I couldn't distinguish which nationality they were. I thought they must have requisitioned and brought them into the camp. Anyway, so um, the gates opened and voice came through. Loudspeakers, we British, we came to liberate you. The Nazis, they've got nothing more to say to you. Be happy. And of course, tears of joy poured down my cheeks. I had to wipe him away because if the Nazis saw you, you could have been shot. A little while later, shall we say about half an hour later, voice came through the loudspeakers. All Germans, guards, and every Nazi have to assemble outside that building, which they used as a headquarter. And then they were arrested, and then I felt free. The state which we were there, and to be surrounded by skeletons, walking skeletons, it was very, very difficult. You see, no one can imagine. It's the epidemic of typhus dysentery was very rife and people were dying like flies. So, of course, it was so unbelievable, but it was reality. Anyway, two officers came. One of them looked Jewish and the other one not. So we conversed in German. And they were absolutely, British troops were absolutely fantastic. It took him no t- you know, in two hours to install water. They brought in fruit, food for us. And, and they've been so helpful. Some of the British officers were taken ill from the shock. And they've done so much, which I'm really indebted to them. And for about two weeks later, um, Norman comes in with a message, and he says, um, I put a message for my captain, for my um, commander officer to invite you for dinner for the officer's mess. And I thought, I was so shocked. I thought, myself, God knows what they're going to do with me there. And um, so I asked my mother, and thank God she did, I did save her. We arrived at that building, that officer's mess. No one opened the door, and I stepped back. And no one says, what's the matter? So I said, look, you must be expecting special visitors. What am I doing here? He says, you are the special visitor. This is our engagement party. I said, pardon? I thought maybe under influence of drinks. But we just arrived, so he couldn't have drunk yet. As we walk in, this commander officer comes over, offers me a glass of wine. Congratulations, congratulations. And all his colleagues, you see, they were were the British intelligence, called Norman Woods, and his colleagues. And they shouted, congratulations, congratulations. And I looked around, and I saw myself, they must be crazy, because I don't know the man. But you see, Norman made up his mind 
when he first saw me in the hospital, that this is the girl who's going to marry. Never mind me what I thought, but he made up his mind. So, of course, I didn't want to spoil the evening, so I thought I'd let him get away with it. I just completely ignored. But about September, we were then living in brick barracks, and I had to be outside the building. My mother called me up, and she says, come up. And as I walked in from behind those curtains, walked out Norman. He holds up his hand, sorry I couldn't come sooner because his mother had a heart attack and um, he had to go back to England. Now he's got only two hours leave, especially came to establish day of our marriage. And please don't say no when and inhabitants of Lübeck heard they're going to be a Jewish wedding. They cleaned out the synagogue because the Germans used as a stable during the occupation. And also a friend of Norman's brought me a British parachute to a dressmaker, and my dressmaker, my dress was made out of a British parachute. And as a British subject, I wasn't allowed to stay in Germany. No one was given compassion leave to take me to England. My very first step was Hendon, northwest for where my in-laws lived. And I adopted three ambitions to adopt a way of British life, to learn the English language, and to write about my memoirs in case I forget. But how can I forget? So I've written that book for the people who haven't got a clue what went on. And for younger generations and generations to come, should never, never allow it to happen again. And should never, never experience what I have experienced. Thank you.